Hey everyone, welcome to the show. We're glad that you're with us today. Well, in the aftermath of the October 7th attacks, Israeli communities are in crucial need of security and medical supplies. CBN's Brody Carter spoke with some of Israel's friends in America who are stepping up to keep the pipeline flowing. There are roughly 270 small towns and communities with populations up to 1,000 residents scattered across Israel. You know them as a kibbutz, an agricultural hub that provides a societal norm unique to Israel. Many of them lost their sense of security when it was shattered by the recent terror attacks. When you see a person uh, walking with uh, AK-47 between homes filled with uh, children and infants, uh, sleeping in their beds. We need to make sure that our communities are protected. GoPro footage of Hamas gunmen attacking Israelis on October 7th shocked the world. As news of the terror spread, it triggered an effort among Americans to provide protective gear for vulnerable communities. Our intentions is to help protect life and that's why we're focusing on protective gear. Tal is a former IDF soldier and Israeli-American living in Atlanta, leading the effort. He hopes to raise $20,000 for protective gear like bulletproof vests, helmets, and other safety equipment to strengthen security of roughly 60 communities in northern Israel. Fires tend to be a big problem once one rockets fail, fall anywhere, if it's agriculture areas or open areas. The first nine, ten days of the war, we've, we've actually transferred over $30 million. According to Rabbi Weil, the U.S.-based nonprofit Friends of Israel Defense Forces uses donations and grants to help support soldiers by providing supplies like hygiene kits, plasma, field hospitals, and much more. We believe there'll be four phases. Phase one is about $62, $63 million. That's just to cover the basic emergency medical equipment. As part of those upcoming phases, Weil says millions of dollars will go towards physical and emotional therapies for both soldiers and bereaved families. Amid a possible ground invasion of Gaza and with multiple enemies, supporters emphasize the importance of firmly standing with those defending Israel. But it's not just Israel these young men and women are defending. Because if Israel falls, their next goal is Sunni Islam. They'll take over Mecca, take over Medina, the holy sites of Islam. But their ultimate goal, what they refer to in their terminology as the great Satan, their ultimate goal is Western civilization. But also for her, any person that sees that country or specifically Jerusalem as a place that is sacred and needs to be accessible. And uh, we are willing to fight to protect it. Brody Carter, CBN News. Well, Victor Marks, president of All Things Possible Ministries, joins us now to share some updates. Victor, thank you so much for being with us today. You bet, Ashley. Well, you just got back from providing humanitarian aid to Israel, but you were apprehensive at first about visiting. What what actually changed? Well, you know, we've got a lot of experience in dealing with the results of terrorism and helping women and children. Uh, the, what what we were hesitant about is we don't ever want to go into an area without access and placement or an invitation. And as we prayed, it was 72 hours later that we got both. So we took a team, we kitted up, and we got our supplies and headed right into the heart of it all. And and actually, we started ministering to children who were living in these kibbutz, just as Brody's story talked about, and families. And I think it's very difficult for American people to understand just how savage and demonic these attacks were. And these kids are not sleeping at night, and there's thousands of them. So we were able to provide what we call our first level of trauma help, believe it or not, with lion and lambs. Wow. 
These are trauma tools that kids can actually hold. There's music that plays in them, Hebrew, in their language, prayers. So I'll tell you, these have been used all over the world. They're effective. And as one mom said, that's the first time my child smiled since the attack. Wow, wow, that's absolutely beautiful. Well, Victor, you've got that tender heart, as we just saw. You're also a Marine. How do you think your background as a Marine has prepared you for this line of work? Well, it's it's been a good fit. Um, you know, my wife and I actually still have a home in northern Iraq. We've got over 130 missions to Iraq or Syria. Uh, when ISIS hit, that's when God called us into that. But we've been doing this for 20 years. So I think it's like the scripture, Gordon, prayed before the break. He God calls us as Christians to be strong and courageous. And I'll just say this. This is a time where pastors in America need to stand up. And for those pastors watching this, if you're too afraid to go to a school board meeting and stand up for our children who are being indoctrinated, don't think you're going to be some strong spine back when the enemy attacks us here in our homeland. And I can say this, having worked on the border all the way down to Colombia, there are very nefarious people in our country that are planning and will do small attacks that will affect our nation. Absolutely. Well, uh, Victor, you, you've been to Syria, Iraq, and Northern Africa. What similarities uh, do you see happening in Israel that are similar to those other countries? And maybe what are some of the differences as well? Great question. You know, evil is evil. And Hamas is, there's only one way to describe them. They're evil as, if not worse than ISIS. Um, I, I have a pair of boots that I just told my wife this morning, I don't think I'll ever wear them again. And they're boots that I walked in children's blood and many houses in these kibbutz. And then also over the enemy, uh, the dead enemy, Hamas, who attacked. Evil is evil. And if we remember that from a bird's eye view, I think it will cause us to pray. And that's what matters. Now I'm gonna tell you something, it's hard to believe. But before we deployed out on this one with our team, the Lord told me, get to the highest point you can and pray over Gaza. And I said, okay. So me and a fellow Marine, a force recon Marine, and we got a lot of experience jointly, a lot of battles he's fought in. We made our way to a, to a very tall building overlooking Gaza, um, probably had to uh, pick some locks to get to the roof. But once we did, we actually prayed. We prayed over Gaza, and I will tell people at home, don't feel like you can't help. Prayer is essential in this battle against evil, plus things that actually matter. Body armor, helmets, we brought those for, we were connected to the special forces uh, aspect of the IDF there because of our background. But believe me, these little lion and lambs are helping children, and people can help us get these out. Because uh, we're just refitting and going back, but we're going to have about 10,000 more of these because it makes a difference for children, regardless of where we are. Victor, may I ask you, because of your military background, do you see this becoming more of a global war and this, you know, it's not going to end anytime soon. Do you see other nations getting directly involved and the battle just spreading wider and wider? I do. I think it's going to be a long, hard battle. Uh, one of my buddies texted me this morning, and bad things happened as they were in on this incursion into Gaza. They're built in. 
I've been into tunnels that help explain and give you perspective on how well fortified they are. And the money that's been spent, the humanitarian aid, money that has been spent by Hamas. And I will say this, I love Palestinians. I've been in these areas. We, we've ministered to thousands of kids before. But right now, I was told if I come into Gaza in any way, I'll be kidnapped or killed. So that tells me that the Palestinians who are being compressed by Hamas, Hamas would rather the death of children than the freedom or help for them. And all this could be over if they stopped shooting rockets, if they released the hostages, and if they really brought forth the cowards that did the savagery. So yeah, I think it's gonna spread. I think America, well, I'll put in perspective. What happened on October 7th is equal to 2,500 fighters, Hamas fighters, coming through, say, the Tijuana, Mexico, U.S. border and killing close to 35,000 Americans through San Diego up to Orange County. That's the equivalent of what happened there. And if people ask, they, I mean, I get asked all the time, how could this happen? Because they underestimated their enemy. And other countries and America needs to not underestimate what potentially is going to happen here, and many of us believe is because of the influx of very nefarious characters, over 2 million that have come into the U.S. already. And again, we've helped. We've ministered to those coming in, women and children, we understand. But there are very nefarious characters that have been allowed to come in the U.S. They're in cells, and trust me, they're planning attacks. Well, Victor, the last thing we want to ask you before we let you go is what specifically can we be praying for you, your team, and your organization, but also what is your wisdom on how everyone can pray for the nation and the people of Israel? Gosh, thanks. I would say this. If people went to our website, Victor Marks, with an X, victormarks.com, they can get on our email list, which is very active daily. We have, an, we have a daily intelligence slash inspiration brief that we send out. And it's current up to the minute stuff when we're deployed out. And prayer matters. The second thing is, again, if they want to help a, get a trauma healing toy into a child's hand, not only the Israeli children, but also the Palestinian kids, we are going to be continuing this effort. And I would say this, people, don't be paranoid or fearful. God doesn't call us to do that, but be prepared. Understand your community, have neighbors and friends. Uh, that if some type of disruption or attack happens, you know, your friends are who you can trust, people who know medical, uh, and never give up that Second Amendment right because that's the saddest thing of all, seeing a safe house room where a dad had died because all he had was a 9 millimeter pistol, and these savages came in and killed him and his kids. And... I actually have the holster for his for his little nine millimeter, and I'll tell you, don't relinquish our right to bear arms. We earn that right. We need to keep it. And uh, I pray to God that pastors in America will stand up for what's right and not be fearful any longer. All right, Victor, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your perspective, your wisdom, and your compassion for people. God bless you. God bless you all as well. And again, as mentioned, you can go to victormarks.com for more information. Ashley. 
All right, guys. Well, amid the horror of the attack, the Hamas attacks, there are also stories of heroism in Israel. They include one quick-thinking IDF soldier who made the ultimate sacrifice in the face of overwhelming odds. Middle East correspondent Julie Stahl sat down with the parents of fallen hero Rowie Weisner in the midst of their week of mourning. My son was in the Golani Brigade. He was stationed at the uh, Eras Crossing. Um, on Saturday, it was the 7th, uh, 7th of uh, October, 6.30 in the morning, when the Hamas decided to um, come with all their forces into Israel and start um, fighting with us. Um, Roy was in his base at the crossing. There were only like 20 soldiers in the base with him. He realized that there were many more Hamas combatants than soldiers in the base, and they were slowly picking them off. And my son went to the officer and he says, I have an idea. It's a little bit out there, but we need to, we, we need to go around. You and I, we should take three other soldiers. So it was the officer, my son was a sergeant, my, my son's radio man, and two other soldiers. They went out under fire around the building. They flanked the building. They went all the way around. They dropped on one of the roofs. They went up to one of the roofs and they dropped on one of the roofs. And together with the other team, they... They shot, they shot and were able to hold off, to kill and hold off the Hamas combatants till either they shot them all, killed them all, or had them all run away, the rest of them run away. And because of that, because of his uh, ideas, his heroic uh, thought at that moment, and what he did, he was able to hold off the Hamas, he was able to hold down, the, they held down the base, Okay, for two hours until they were reinforcements came to help them out, and twelve soldiers are alive to tell us the story today, and we're regretfully, in the crossfire, our son had died. Yami and Naomi Weiser had ripped their clothes, as is the Jewish custom to symbolize their pain during the week of mourning. This is the picture that he sent us. The last picture that he sent. Oh, and it says gorgeous. Shabbat it's Shalom beautiful. from Aza. It's a beautiful picture of a beautiful... Of a sunset. A sunset. It's beautiful. And he was just sharing with us. There was nothing there. Look at that. It's beautiful. You're watching the sun go down into the sea. It's a wonderful picture. Next day, that was overrun. Our son was a hero. And we have a 24-year-old daughter. And then Rowie, who was 21. He's our, old, he's our oldest son. He's our oldest son. We have two son. sons. He's our oldest son. And we have another 17-year-old son. He, he was just your basic kid. He liked sports. <laughs> he liked soccer. He liked baseball. He liked basketball. He was just your basic 21-year-old kid. Everyone here has been so loving to us. Israel is a, is, a, is a big country, yet a small country. Everybody knows everybody already. Everybody, right. We were told when, you know, about Rowie's funeral, people apologized they couldn't come because we have two other funerals to go to. And, like, everybody has a brother, a relative, a son. Yeah. It's, we're all one big... Very sad family. Yeah. When they heard the news, Roe's friends gathered to sing a tribute of the national anthem. News saw the outpouring of pictures and messages attached to the wall outside the Weiser's home. 
our son sacrificed his life. Something should come of it. Like, this should end all wars. We should learn our lesson from this. We should... I, I want to see peace. I want to know that he didn't die in vain. I want to see this this evil organization that can come and murder children be demolished. I want I want the message across the world that anybody that supports them should stop supporting them. And we didn't start this war. Israel is now protecting itself against them, and Israel should get the support of America and all over the world to help eradicate them. Because otherwise, we're, this is going to happen again, if not to us, to another country. Another way we'd like to remember our son is through his... Generosity. Generosity, I think, is the word. And, and thinking of others, and, and always with a smile. It's what they always told us. Always made us laugh, always with a smile. Julie Stahl, CBN News, Efrat, Judea and Samaria. We also want to remember Roe Weiser for his generosity and wow, what a hero he is. And I just truly believe that as time passes, we're going to continue to hear, hear amazing stories of heroes who have made the ultimate sacrifice. And we just want to remind everyone at home, please continue to pray for the nation of Israel. Pray for this region of the world. Pray for peace and pray for the people, the Palestinians and Gaza and also the Jewish people all around the world. We stand with you, Israel. Andrew. Well, up next, she put her life on the line for the Jewish people and paid the price. See the inspiring tale of Corey Ten Boom hit the big screen. That's right after this. Stay with us. You may recall Corrie ten Boom and her family risked everything to hide Jewish refugees from Nazis in World War II. Their heroic story is told in her 1971 autobiography, The Hiding Place, and now that story hits the big screen. Ephraim Graham caught up with the cast and creators of this inspiring story. Oh, my dear Cornelia Arnolda Johanna ten Boom, my little Corrie. <laughs> <laughs> when the time comes for courage, your father will give you everything you need. Courage, it's the best word to describe the story of Cory Timboom and her humble Dutch family of Christian watchmakers who hid hundreds of Jewish neighbors during World War II, risking everything and enduring unspeakable evil. I have some news. Ah. Out with it, then. Isn't he coy about it? <laughs> this story, made for the stage, now moves to the big screen. I'm Nan Gurley, and I play Corey Ten Boom. My name is Matt Logan, and I am the director and designer of the stage play. My name is Pete Peterson. I am the writer of the stage play and the producer of the film The Hiding Place. I'm leaving my position at the church. What? But how can you, Willem? I think ministry is not my calling after all. But what will you do? I've opened a home for the elderly. Ah, the elderly. Peterson's play is based on Corey Timboon's book of the same name. What's the process of turning The Hiding Place into a stage play? That is a great question. I went into it with a lot of fear and trembling. So my wife and I jumped in a plane and started in Amsterdam visited the hiding place in Harlem, uh, where Corey lived. And then we drove across Germany to visit Ravensbrück concentration camp, where Corey and Betsy ended up. And uh, until you've been in a concentration camp, you can't really fathom how big 
the evil that happened was. To walk into the gas chamber and then to literally stand in front of the oven where Betsy Ten Boom was disposed of. You know, that's a, a, a process of research that really fundamentally changed my relationship to the story. And the one thing that was really clear to me is that it's really easy to think that The Hiding Place is about Corey Ten Boom, and it is, obviously. But Betsy Ten Boom is the real hero of this story in a lot of ways. Like, Corey's um, intent with telling the story in some ways was to honor the beautiful person that her sister was. And so I really wanted to uh, be committed to making sure that we told that story as well. Think she gets overlooked in history? I think she does, yeah. Lots of people know the name Corey Ten Boom, mm -hmm. but the name Betsy Ten Boom is not talked about as much. And Betsy is just one of the most remarkable people that I've ever encountered. Her ability to be uh, grateful in the midst of the worst circumstances is something that I struggle to do even when I'm just having a bad Monday. <laughs> Kept no Jews, we conducted no raids. Perhaps it would help if you considered me a priest. Why do you think it's important for this to go from stage now to screen? Because it will reach so many more people. We'll get to know this story. The current generation doesn't know a lot about Corey. And it's so important for this story to be retold and retold. Not only from the standpoint that if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. But also, we need to be encouraged. We need to know the names of the people in that cloud of witnesses. Ephraim Graham, CBN News, Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks so much, Ephraim. Very timely film. To watch The Hiding Place, you can visit lambandflagstudios.com to either purchase or rent the film from the comfort of your own home. Ashley? Well, up next, highlights from the Dove Awards and a new documentary and more. We're bringing you the latest in inspiring entertainment after this, so stay with us. Well, the flood of inspiration just can't be stopped in the world of entertainment. And some of your worship favorites gathered for a meaningful celebration and a time of prayer at this year's Dove Awards. Plus, we'll get an inside look at Angel Studios' latest documentary that's getting an awful lot of attention. Here's Ephraim Graham with this week's top five stories from Studio 5. At number five, the Gospel Music Association launches into the 54th Annual Dove Awards. Let's head now to the 54th Annual Dove Awards that honor some of the biggest artists in Christian music. We hit the red carpet to talk with a few of these artists, including one of the most nominated singers this year, Katie Nicole, who walked away with New Artist of the Year honors. It doesn't take a trophy for me to see what God has done through the music, and I'm just grateful that I have gotten to see that impact. At number four. It's more from this year's Dove Awards. The night also featured performances from big name artists like Lauren Daigle, who performed her new single, Be OK, and gave a heartfelt message of hope for Israel. In light of what has happened in Israel this week, I think our eyes need to be open to what he might be calling us to. At number three.
it's beginning to sound a lot like Christmas. Cher is topping the charts with holiday music. Her first ever holiday album, titled Christmas, debuts at number one on Billboard's Top Holiday Albums chart, the first holiday chart of the year. It's filled with covers and new instant classics. It also broke into the top 40 of the Billboard 200 album chart. It debuts at number 32, Cher's 14th top 40 album. She's now just the fourth artist to have a top 40 hit in every decade since the 60s, joining Barbara Streisand, Bob Dylan, and the Rolling Stones. At number two. I think the near-death experience is where science meets religion. Angel Studios' documentary, After Death, opens at number four at the box office. What I've tried to do is put data out there that's been scientifically rigorously collected. After Death is a powerful documentary with people who have near-death stories to share. What inspired the journey to, to create this? Uh, so for me, it was, it was born out of loss. Um, so my my brother-in-law, Marco, he was killed in a, a car wreck in 2012. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that kind of caused me to ask questions about, you know, what happens after we die. The first thing that happens is called an out-of-body experience. And they come to a place of exquisite beauty. They very commonly see a light. Deceased relatives come to meet them. The first person I saw was my grandfather. At number one, a Studio 5 first look at one of the most anticipated Netflix releases of the year. Before I begin my broadcast today, I have something to say. In this time of darkness, of invading cities, I'm trying to remember. Light lasts forever. All the Light We Cannot See is a series adapted from the 2014 Pulitzer Prize winning book. Darkness lasts, Darkness lasts not even for fun. one second when you turn on the light. Where did you first come to this story? We know it's a book, now a series, thanks to the two of you. Where did you first come to this story? Well, I think one thing that we're both lucky um, about is we both read this book long before we were thinking about it as a show or a movie. So we both read, I mean, Steve and I had never met, um, but like me, Steve read the book as a reader and he loved the book years before we would get a chance at collaborating and turning it into a show. So I just fell in love with it as a, a suspenseful page turner. The novel turned series features a blind French teenager and a German soldier whose paths collide in occupied France, as both try to survive the devastation of World War II. I know that broadcasting could get me executed. But I will not be silenced. I hope you will tune in again tomorrow. It begins streaming this week. I know this is a work of fiction, but what do you think this says about the reality of what happened in our history? I think that um, it, it reflects on the experiences of people who are the victims of war. So it's not about strategy. It's not about you know how the battles were, were waged. It's about how people who are stuck in those battles fared and how they man ordinary people became extraordinary people as a consequence. Someone from our generation who thought if you talk reason, then maybe the insanity of this war might come to an end. 
Well, I will say that movie does look really, really good, and I think it's very timely with everything that's happening, so I look forward to seeing that on Netflix. But then, Dove Awards. Yeah, Katie Nicole Katie won. Nicole. That was great. Mm -hmm. We love her. Yeah, she's Ephraim got a great a, testimony. Yeah. And Lauren Daigle, of course, that voice is incredible. Exactly. And, Andrew, are you excited for Cher with the <laughs> Christmas album? I had, to I, I, I had to see a share movie when I was a kid because I couldn't get into the R-rated film, so I had to buy a ticket for the share movie. So I've got some, okay. some good memories there. Yeah. All right, thanks for being with us. Sorry about that close. We'll see you Bye, more. guys.